How many of you remember having homework assignments? Remember having homework assignments? A few of you raised your hand because you're admitting that you did remember to do your homework. Because sometimes, sometimes that does not happen on time. Occasionally, what happens is you have a homework assignment and you don't remember that you have a homework assignment until the night before and you realize, oh no, that's due tomorrow. Um, I was homeschooled, so everything was a homework assignment until I was in college and then I had those moments of, oh no, that's due tomorrow and I should have been working on this the whole semester. So maybe you've already experienced that a little bit with your kids in school this year. Uh, maybe it's similar to the story that I heard of this mom and this little girl. She's getting ready to go off to school. The bus is pulling up, one of those crazy mornings where you're just trying to get everything together, get them on the bus, get them out the door, get them ready for school. And she remembers as the bus is pulling up, oh no. I needed to bring a t-shirt with me, mom, for a project we're doing in class today. So the mom frantically runs upstairs, throws open one of dad's drawers, pulls out a t-shirt, sends her off to chase the bus. So she gets on the bus, goes to school, Whew, everything's good. Well, she comes home and they had done screen printing at school that day. So printed on the front of that shirt, beautiful design, looks some, maybe something like that, families are forever. And there's a family on there, little hearts, looked really good. The little girl did a really, really good job. But then she walks past the mom and the mom realizes what was on the back of that shirt. The back of the shirt was an anti-smoking slogan. So the front said, families are forever. The back said, be smart, don't start. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about, I don't know if that's a true story or not. I've just always heard that is true. So we're going to assume it's true that actually happened. We're going to be talking about kids and we're going to be talking about parenting this morning. But just as we talked last week about how important it is to understand these verses, and last week it was 18 and 19, it was so important to understand those verses in the greater context of the book. Same thing is true here. I have to understand these verses in the greater context of Colossians and then the chapter itself, so Colossians 3. If we just pull these verses out of the chapter and talk about them just as verses outside of the context, they mean a whole lot less than what they mean within what Paul is trying to say, who he's trying to point this Colossian church to. So last week we talked about two things we have to remember. We got to remember the preeminence of Christ, that he is over all things. He is in control. He is in charge. He was uh, at creation without him. Uh, nothing was made without him being a part of it. He's over all things. So he has the authority to set up the family structure. Last week, we related that to the marriage structure, to the husbands and wives and what that should look like. This week, it's going to be the family structure. He has the authority to set those things in place because he's preeminent over all things. We also have to remember that we're bearing the image of Christ, the family resemblance. Those are in those verses immediately preceding this section, 18 and 19, and then 20 and 21. And then it's going to go on into uh, chapter 4. Verse 1 is really the whole section there. So bearing the image of Christ in all things. You bear that family resemblance. What should that look like at every time, in all circumstances, no matter what's going on, you bear that family resemblance. So we're, we're going to bring that to this point, too, as we're talking about kids and parents. So verse 20 is where we're going to start this morning. It says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Just a short little verse, but boy, is it packed with all kinds of things. One of the hardest things that I have done yet is parenting three gorgeous little girls. 
that's, it's, it's hard work to be a parent. They are gorgeous. You've seen them running around, and I'm going to brag on them all day. They look like their mommy, but they've got the sneakiness of their daddy. And all of them are born, like every other person, are born with a sin nature, totally depraved. That's how God describes us. Before Christ, we're born with that sin nature, totally depraved. It's my job. It's Jenny's job. We do this together. We're a team working together, but as their father, I have the responsibility to raise them well. I have the responsibility to represent God, the Heavenly Father, well to them. And that's not always easy. It's not always their fault. Sometimes, you know, you know how kids can be. Sometimes it's difficult to, to parent. Quite often, it's my fault that that's difficult. It's not always their fault. I like to put the blame on the kids just, you know, not having a good day or things being difficult on them, but really it falls on me. How do I raise my children well? Because I'm representing God the Father to my children. I am the first example they have of a father figure. So when I talk to them about God the Heavenly Father, their frame of reference is me. So how do I raise my children well that I represent God the Heavenly Father well? I don't always do that right. I don't always do that well. Often they see a daddy who's tired and frustrated, but God's never tired. He's never frustrated. Someday they're going to be able to understand God better beyond just what I tell them and just what I demonstrate to them. They'll understand God the Heavenly Father because they can read it themselves. He always represents himself well. His word never misrepresents the character and nature of who he is. I do. So as a parent, how do I raise my girls well? How do you as parents raise your children well? That then they recognize the life of Christ that is within them. Because what we're going to come to in a minute is that these children that Paul is talking to, they have the life of Christ in them because they're part of the church. How do we help them to recognize and see that life of Christ that is in them and what that should look like and how that fits in with the greater context of the church. That's what we're going to try to tackle this morning. So Paul is speaking to children. So the fact that he is addressing them as the children that are a part of this church, he says it here. He says it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4 is going to be our parallel passage today. Just like last week, we looked at Ephesians to, to rely pretty heavily on Paul being more flowery in his description of husbands and wives and the marriage relationship, what that should look like. Last week, we're going to rely on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 this week. It's those parallel passages. Paul's just having a chance there to say more in his letter than he says here in Colossians. Same heart, same goal, same God, just a different audience that he's speaking to. So he's talking to the Colossian children here as part of this church. The Ephesian children are part of this church. But when we look at the end of this letter, he also says that this letter should be read to the church in Laodicea. So those children that are part of that church are a part of the church. They are a part of it. They're believers. And everything that is in this letter up to this point is for them. Unless it is specifically said for husbands and wives, and we'll look later on about slaves and masters, unless specifically talking to somebody else, everything that's in this letter has been for those kids. They are a part of that church. They are important. They matter. And that's why Paul is addressing them. They're part of the church there. Not the church someday. Part of the church now. And we do our kids a disservice when we don't include them within 
the life of the church. I think we do a good job here at Galilee of including kids in the life of the church. There's always more ways that I'd love to see that happening. There's always more ways where I say, hey, let's try this, let's do that. But kids are a part of the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. They're a part of the church now. And I love seeing the kids come up here and to sing for us. But often we have youth, I'm not gonna say kids because they're not all kids, they're youth, back there as greeters. We have youth that's up here uh, on a Sunday morning doing our worship for us. It's been fun to see Michael as he's learned to continue to learn to drum and all kinds of stuff. I didn't realize how many instruments he played, but seeing the youth of our church having a role and a purpose here in this church. Now there's different stages of life. There's different phases of being a kid that it's easier to get involved than others. I remember my parents uh, when we were real little trying to keep us sitting in a Sunday morning service and that was varying levels of success. And some of those stories are pretty funny and I can share those with you later. Not all of them are about me. Brian's, Brian's gonna ask later. Some of them are about me. There's different stages of life that are easier than others to have your kids involved in the life of the church. But there were a couple of things in particular that stood out to me growing up that helped me feel like that even as a little kid, I was a part of the church. Sunday evenings, I got to take the offering. So as a kid, that was huge. I loved doing that. Didn't always work on Sunday morning. There's just a different flow to the service. But Sunday nights, it was often the kids who would go up and two of us, one would go down one set of aisles, one would go down the other, and we would take the offering. I felt like I was a part of the church. I had a role to play. The other thing that was huge was I had a chance to be able to pray with the church. So Wednesday night was our prayer meeting. So it didn't work when I was a real, real little kid. and got to a point where I was able to sit through the devotional that my dad would lead and the songs that we would do, and then we would go to prayer together. And it didn't work when I was little, but I reached that point where I could do that. And I would sit there and listen to all these prayer requests coming in. We're praying for so-and-so because they have cancer. We're praying for this person because they got surgery tomorrow. And that person needs a new job. And this person needs a new car. We'd hear all these different prayer requests. And as a kid, I'm listening to those. And then we had a chance to go and sit together in prayer. And listening to those senior saints pray was incredible. It was one of the things that I feel really helped form who I am, just listening to those people pray as a little kid, listening to older folks pray. And then we got to see the answers to those prayers. Not always immediately. Sometimes it was very quick, and I remember very dramatic stories of people who would go in for surgery, searching for cancer. And it was there the day before, and then they went in to search for it, and it was gone. Some dramatic answers to prayer. Sometimes it took longer, but I was a part of that. I was part of praying. I was, I was there in that group, and I felt like I was part of the church. If anything, it was character forming because I'd sit there and listen to some of those senior saints pray for a really long time. And I'd sit there and just pretend I was deer hunting and sit as still as possible and not move. And I couldn't open my eyes because if I opened my eyes and made eye contact with my brother, it was all over. We were both going to be in major trouble. But I was part of the church. I felt like I was a part of the church then. And kids are a part of the church of today. Paul's addressing these kids as part of the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. Because if we wait for kids today to be the church of tomorrow, we're not going to have kids in the church tomorrow. They're part of the church of today. We need to invest in them as part of the church of today, not waiting until they've reached a certain age, not waiting until they get bigger and mature enough. It sometimes gets messy getting kids involved, but that's good. That's right. That's how that should be. And if you look at churches that are thriving churches, 
not, not even think in numbers of how many people attend those churches or not, but thriving churches, one key factor is that they have a kids' ministry that is well-planned, it's well-organized, and it's led by volunteers. So well-planned, well-organized, and led by volunteers. Now, that can work really well in a church of 500 or a church of five kids. And, I, you know, it doesn't even have to be high budget. doesn't have to be high energy. doesn't have to be led by just the teens and the young adults of the church to be, be, see it be really successful. I've seen some of those churches, and it's awesome. They do an incredible job. One of the churches that I got to work with and got to see their kids' ministry when I was in Pennsylvania, uh, their main auditorium was on the ground level, but then they had a basement level, which is where all of their kids' ministry was. And depending on which class your kid was in, they'd sign in and take a slide to their classroom. It was awesome. I don't remember if I took the slide down or not, just to kind of check it out. But it was so, so cool. You don't have to have a slide or a high budget or you know, strobe lights or a smoke machine or whatever going on for it to be an effective kids' ministry. It needs to be centered on God's word. It needs to be discipleship-driven. It needs to be well-planned, well-organized, and it needs to be led by those volunteers. And that works well in a church of 500 kids or a church of five. But it's so important for those kids to be able to have those teachers to come alongside what the parents are hopefully doing at home. We'll talk more about that. Come alongside with what the parents are doing at home. It's good for those kids. It's good for the parents to be able to have an opportunity to sit and to listen and to uh, you know, know that their kids are getting that good education, that good training in another place as well, but it gives them a break, but it's good for the life of the church. It's good for the life of the church. Kids are a part of the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. They're part of the church of today, and I'm so thankful for what we have here at Galilee in our nursery and in our Lighthouse Kids team. So if you are part of nursery or Lighthouse Kids in some way, could you stand up? You had no idea I was going to do this, but could you stand up? Okay, thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. Because I really am, you can sit down. Eva's like, ah. Oh. I really am thankful for the work that they do. And we have a whole team back there in nursery right now and in Lighthouse Kids right now. I'm so thankful for the work that they have done to help train up and see our kids have a good time in nursery, a good time in Lighthouse Kids, but it's based around God's word and helping them feel like they have a part to play here in the church. And we see it in things like uh, worship time. They're able to sing songs with us. We see it in ways that they help handing things out or being a part of greeting or whatever the case may be. So I'm very thankful that we have a team that's committed to caring for our kids. Okay, but kids, they're to obey in everything. Paul is addressing the children here. So he's addressing the kids. He says they're to obey in everything. But really, this we can apply this same type of question to adults that are listening in too. So he says, children, obey in everything. And often what happens, even if we don't say this out loud, but he's talking to the kids. So kids, you can just think for yourself, how often do your parents ask you to do something? And your first question, even if you don't say it out loud, I was the kind of kid that I did say it out loud. You say, how much? How much am I supposed to do? How much am I supposed, as adults, we do something similar. We think, how much am I supposed to do? Okay, so here's the answer. All of it. You have to obey in all things. You got to do all of it. Why do we do all of it? Well, we're going to come to that part in just a minute. But that is the measure of their obedience, is all of it. 
That's how you're supposed to obey. In everything, you do all of it. If you look at Colossians 6, 2, it goes even a little bit step further, obey in all things. And it talks about commandment number five from Deuteronomy. We'll find where it is. From Deuteronomy 5.16, commandment number five is honor your father and your mother. And it says this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents in everything. You honor your father and your mother because you know if you don't honor your father and mother, you may not live long in the land. So... Honor your father and your mother. There's a reason that number five comes before number six. Anyone know what number six is? You shall not murder. So number five, honor your father and your mother. That's for kids. Number six is for parents. Okay, I'm joking. Honor your father and your mother. Why do you honor your father and your mother? Why do we do that? You do it all the way with a good attitude, looking first to the preeminence of Christ. That's why. You look first to the preeminence of Christ. He's the one who's in control. He's in charge. Kids, it's just as important for you to remember that, that Christ is in control, that he's preeminent over all things, as important as it is for for your parents to remember that. Who do they obey? They obey Christ. That's who they're looking to. They need help. They need help and guidance to know how to raise you well, kids. So they're looking to Christ. Who does he say we need to look to then and obey? We need to obey our parents. So in obeying our parents, we're obeying God too. We're recognizing that this is an authority structure that God put in place, and it's a good one. Do your parents always get it right? They don't always get it right. Are they trying real hard? They certainly are. They have to obey God, the Heavenly Father. They have to look to the preeminence of Christ and recognize that they're trying to work out that life of Christ in them as well, just as you're trying to work out that life of Christ within you. And it's not always easy. It can be really hard. But you recognize that he's in control. He's in charge. And we recognize that this is the plan that he's set for us. You're developing. You're growing. You're changing. You're becoming more of who you are. You were made special by God. Psalm 139 talks about how you were knit together in your mother's womb. He made you on purpose. He loves you infinitely. And like a sweater, if you think of a sweater, somebody didn't just stick knitting needles in a ball of yarn and chuck it on the floor and poof, a sweater showed up. You do it on purpose. It's intentional. You were made by God on purpose, intentionally, to be who you are. You matter to him. He has a plan for you and for your life. Your homework is to go home, because I give homework sometimes, is to read Psalm 139. The rest of that psalm is really, really good. So kids, that's your homework. God made you on purpose. He has a plan for you. But you're never going to achieve and be all that God made you to be until you are functioning and working within this God-given structure of the family that God has set up and that God has established. He's preeminent over all things. He's placed you here on purpose. He has a plan, and the only way to be everything that God made you to be is to recognize that God is in control. And you can trust him in that because he loves you, because he's preeminent over all things, and you know he's good. So you're to be doing all of this. Why? Why do you honor your father and your mother? Why do you obey in all things? This doesn't apply just for kids. This is for all of us, too. Why do we obey? Because it pleases the Lord. That's the motive, then, for our obedience, because it pleases the Lord. 
All of this is for God's sake. It's not for our sake. It's for his sake. Not out of duty for our parents, but because we love him. Because we love him supremely. We love him above all things. We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And parents, I hope and pray that that's your prayer for your children. Before anything else, that's your prayer for your children. You're going to pray that they have a great spouse someday. You're going to pray that they make a good, decent living wage. You're going to pray that they have a great house, whatever. But pray this first, that they love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They love him first, and they love him most. And then they are going to be able to obey in all things. Will they still make mistakes? Sure. But they're learning, they're growing, they're being sanctified, set apart as a holy offering to the Lord, daily becoming, we pray, more and more like Christ, just like you are becoming more and more like Christ each day. And then they're obeying out of love. I would much, much rather have one act of obedience from my children out of genuine love for the Lord and a love for their family than 10,000 acts of good service just out of duty. God wants you to obey, not just because you have to, not just because you're told to, but because you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you're doing that, you're displaying that obedience out of love, the life of Christ is then seen in you. You can't hide that. The life of Christ is seen in you. It's coming out of you. Just like for the husbands and wives and everyone else that, that Paul is talking to, Colossians 3, 12 through 17, all of those things that are marks of the life of Christ in you are for you too, kids. You can have those things seen in your life as you display Christ. You can daily becoming more and more like Christ, but you have to seek him. You have to go after him. You have to want to have the word, the, the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. So how do you do that? You daily spend time in his word. You daily spend time reading his word to you. Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 says, How can a young man or young woman keep her way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Letting God's word fill you. Letting it be a part of you. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It guides you. Psalm 1 talks about meditating on God's word day and night. Letting it be there. Let it fill you. Because if it's filling your head, it's going to change your heart, and that comes out then in the way that you live. And you'll become more and more like Christ. You'll see the family resemblance of Christ in you, even as a kid. Bear the family resemblance of Christ. Obey your parents in everything, because this pleases the Lord. You love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you'll be seen as being related to, bearing the family image of Christ, even as a kid. So how about as a parent? What's our job as parents? Well, we all want to leave a legacy. I always want to leave a legacy behind us. So what kind of legacy are we going to, to leave? Uh, his name was Roy. Roy moved his family from Missouri, and I think it was sometime the, the mid-1930s, moved them down to South Florida. So South Florida at that time was a bit of a wild place. I've heard stories about it being a little bit like the Wild West. He was a lineman, and I don't mean football. I mean he put in telephone lines and power lines there in South Florida. They called him Stumps because he was 5'4 and just a solid little guy, but nobody messed with him. I heard one story of when he was working on the lines and somebody was giving him a hard time. 
They just weren't, weren't, weren't cooperating, didn't want to do the job the way it needed to be done, so he pulled out his revolver and shot at the guy's feet. Didn't, didn't shoot the guy, but scared him just enough that he didn't give him any more problems. So Roy and his, and his wife, they had, they had, was it five children, so four boys, one girl, and they raised them to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was my great-grandfather. We still have his Bible. He had, uh, did a lot of leather work. So on the outside of his Bible, it's all engraved beautifully. Uh, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother raised my great-uncles, my grandfather, and my great-aunt to love Jesus supremely in all things. They didn't all do that. My great-aunt, I believe, was a believer. I never actually got to meet her, but I believe she trusted in Christ as her Savior. My three great-uncles are not walking with the Lord. My grandfather didn't come to know Christ until he was 17. Each of them had a choice to make. My great-grandparents did an excellent job in the environment where they were living and where they were without having the same kind of support that we might have today here in this church with the community that we have to raise their kids to love Christ supremely, to love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They still had to make a choice. Each of those kids was still responsible for how they responded to the gospel. And my grandfather at 17 trusted in Jesus Christ as a savior. Last week, my grandfather, I think, was preaching. My dad was preaching. My brother was preaching. My brother-in-law was preaching. I was preaching. And my other brother-in-law was teaching Sunday school. All because my great-grandparents prayed. All because they taught faithfully how to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm here because God convicted my heart, but it was only after my grandmother prayed for a long, long, long time that I would be a pastor. I always remember her as when I was a little, little kid. She'd give me a hug. She always had a lot of lotion on her arms, so you kind of like squeeze out of her arms. She... <laughs> That's a mental picture you didn't want to have. And she'd whisper into my ear that I'm praying that you'll be a pastor someday. And here I am. I still had a choice to make. I'm so glad that my grandfather made the choice at 17 to trust in Jesus Christ as a savior. You want to leave a legacy. So how do you do that? Verse 21 says this. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And again, we're going to look pretty heavily at, Colossians, or at Ephesians 6 and verse 4 to help us through this one as well. But fathers, don't provoke your children. Ephesians says, don't provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. It's really easy in our parenting to be inconsistent. That's one way that we can provoke our children to wrath is being inconsistent in our parenting. It is so important that you as a husband and wife, as a parent team, are working together to raise your children well. To do that unified. Because kids can often be really good at pitting one parent against the other and being like, oh, dad said I could do this. And dad really did not say that. So then you have to go and find out, what did you say? Who said it? Be unified in that. Be consistent in your parenting. Consistent first in the example that you're living for your children, that they see it lived out in you. You're not just going to say it. You're also going to live it. But you are setting those guardrails for the lives of your children. And when those guardrails are not steady, they're always moving, constantly shifting. They never quite know what to expect. That's a rough environment for a kid to grow up in. 
That's really hard. Even as believers, when they have God the Holy Spirit working inside of them, as these kids are that Paul is addressing here in Colossians and Ephesians, even when you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, if the guardrails of your life are constantly moving, that's hard. That's rough. They don't quite know what to believe or what to, to, what to follow because things are changing. you got to be consistent. It's only so long that Jenny and I could work in, in a kids' ministry, traveling around the state and primarily here in southern Maine before we would see those stories and see the examples of kids growing up in homes where the only consistency was inconsistency. There was no stable home to go back to. They didn't know, was mom going to have a new boyfriend when they got home from school? Uh, were they going to have food? What time would they go to bed? Would they even be able to get in the house? And I saw that happen not just on the, on the parent level, but there were a number of kids that we worked with, primarily up in our Camp Good News area, that were being led by or raised by their great-grandparents because even their grandparents weren't stable enough to care for them. We have a chance, parents, to be consistent with our kids, to raise them in a way that displays not only in the things that we say, but in the way that we live, consistency that shows that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't want to provoke our children to wrath, to anger, by our inconsistency in our parenting. Sometimes that happens because we're too busy to slow down and pay attention to what's going on. Sometimes we just don't focus on ourselves. And knowing that this is for me, I'm going to share it with them, but it's for me too. Got to be consistent. Don't provoke your children to wrath in your parenting. Because we can lead them down a path unintentionally that leads them away from the Lord. Now, one thing that has to be said here, and it has to be said really carefully, you're not responsible for the eternity of your children. You're not responsible for the eternity of your children any more than you and your own strength is responsible for your own eternity. Who is responsible for our, etern our eternity? It's Jesus Christ. When we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we fall on him as the one who did the work and paid the sacrifice, paid the price to redeem our souls, and we accept that as a free gift. That's salvation. We accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That wasn't our doing. That was his work. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We accept that for ourselves. That is exactly the same thing that your children have to do. They have to recognize that Christ is the one who redeems their soul, that he is preeminent over all things. He's the only one who can take the punishment for their sin. Some of you have done a really, really good job of presenting Christ to your children. Some of you have done an excellent job of following that up with consistent walk consistent talk and a consistent walk, and your children have not followed the Lord. It's not your fault. We want to think it's our fault. We want to think, I did that to my kids. And sure, we can mess up. We can make mistakes, and that might lead our children to do something that they followed our example on that. But in the end, they have a choice to make. They have to choose. Am I going to accept Christ for who he is and what his word says? Or am I going to reject that? As parents, we do have a chance to lead them down a good path, but ultimately, it's their choice. They have to make a decision. What can we do then to help lead our children down a good path that they recognize the goodness of who God is, they recognize his preeminence, and they want to see that life of Christ coming through them? Uh, Paul Tripp, in his book titled Parenting, says we are to create a God consciousness and a God submission in our children. 
It starts with a God consciousness. They need to know who God is. And as they learn who God is, that should become a God submission. They're submitting to who God is and recognizing that and saying, that's for me. I have to accept that because I've seen who he is. And now I know what I must do because of that. Deuteronomy 6 is helpful for us here. You can turn over to Deuteronomy 6 with me. Or save it for later. This is going to be your homework. Kids have, what do we say, Psalm 139. You have Deuteronomy 6. There's your homework to, to do this afternoon or another day. Here's what verse 4 through 9 say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Shall bind them as a sign on your hand, shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is God's heart for kids, this is God's heart for parenting. We are to first love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You love him first, you love him most, and then you share that with your children. You do that diligently because this is not easy. This has to be done intentionally. It won't just happen. And it's your job. This isn't my job. I have my own children. That's my job. This is your job. I can help you with that job. That's what I want to do, is I want to help you with that job. But it's your job. This is not the Lighthouse Kids teacher's job. They want to help you with that. And I think that the curriculum that we've, we've prepared for your kids, I think it's a good one to help you with that. But it's your job. You are the first line of action. You are the first one that has a chance to speak the words of Christ, God's word, into their lives. This is your job. Not just mine. I'm going to help you, but this is your job. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's what you're to be doing. That's your job. You're creating the God consciousness, which we are praying will lead to the God submission. But that can be hard. Two things you have to pull out of this first for yourself before then you can think, how do we then apply this to our children? First thing is you have to believe this for yourself. You have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want your children to do that, you need to model that for them. Can God change their heart even if you've set a bad example? 100% yes. Seen lots and lots and lots of examples of that, of kids who did not have a good home, had a horrible home, and yet they came to know Christ as their Savior. And God did amazing things in their little hearts and in their lives, despite what they were coming out of. But parents, if your heart is to see your children love God, if your heart is for your children to bear that image of Christ, to be a child of God, then this is what you have to do for you too. You can't just expect them to do as I say, but not as I do. Be consistent. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have to fall on him. Because I think one of the things that God does with kids, he gives us kids to draw us to himself in a greater way, because this can be hard. 
It can be hard to be a parent, especially if you don't have a good support system or you feel like there are pieces that are difficult, either in your marriage or in your family, that make this a struggle. He draws us to himself, even through our children, but you have to love him first and love him most. Set that consistent example for your children. Second thing you have to remember is that this is gonna be hard and it has to be done intentionally and purposefully. It's going to be difficult at times. You have to do it on purpose because you have an enemy that is trying to keep you from teaching your children about Christ. You have an enemy who wants the souls of your children. He wants yours and he wants the souls of your children. So this is going to be hard. Not only are you fighting against the spiritual forces of wickedness, the Bible says, you have an enemy. You really do. But you're fighting against your flesh too. This doesn't just happen automatically. You have to do it on purpose. It's going to be hard work. So how do you do that? How do you raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? Because those kids are not just little blank slates. They're not just an open book waiting for you to write on them. Now, you have a lot to teach them. They have a lot to learn. But they also have a sin nature inside of them. Before Christ, they have a sin nature which is driving them away from Christ. That's the nature of what sin does. It drives us away from Christ. So you're not working with just little blank slates here that are going to, little sponges that are going to soak up everything that you teach them. So it's going to be hard work. And even after they've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they have that regenerating work of Christ within them. They're still being sanctified. They're still learning to be more like Christ, just like you are. They're going to struggle. It's going to be hard some days. But how do you do this? How do you raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? You raise them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. First, you believe this. You own this. You display that Christ-likeness in you. And then you intentionally, purposefully set a time, set aside time to speak to your kids. That might be personal uh, family devotions together. Sometimes that works over the breakfast table. Sometimes that's just before bed. Your family looks different than mine. You have an idea of when you might be able to make that work, but it's intentional. It's purposeful. It doesn't just happen. I've been in kids' ministry for, for 10 years, and then we're now a year here at Galilee. It still has to be intentional and purposeful, even with all the different strategies and ideas I had through kids' ministry over the years and having grown up in that environment. It is still no less difficult. We have to do it on purpose or it doesn't happen. So be intentional about spending time in God's word together. Be intentional about looking for those opportunities to speak the goodness of who God is into their life, whether that's through prayer together, praying for people, thanking God for things as issues and needs come forward, you can pray together with them. You can thank God then when you see answers. You can thank God for the fun things you get to do together, for glorious days like he's given us today. Take those opportunities. Too often we miss those opportunities. We're human. We're still developing to be more like the image of Christ. So we miss those opportunities, but you got to look for them. Intentionally, purposefully look for them. Then you can talk with them of the things of the Lord when you drive to soccer practice, when they're getting ready for bed, when you're getting up and you're having breakfast, when you're going and walking the dog. Whatever the case may be, you'll look for those opportunities. Be purposeful. Be intentional. Look for the times when you can share the goodness of Christ with them. It will be hard, but it's always going to be worth it. 
you are seeking to bear the image of Christ, the resemblance, the family resemblance to Christ in your parenting. For your kids, they're seeking to bear the family resemblance of Christ as children here in the church now because you are part of this church. Not the church of tomorrow, part of the church of today. And your job is to obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. You obey because you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You bear that family resemblance as a kid. Parents, our job is to create that God consciousness, that God submission, then Lord willing, in our children. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To bear the family resemblance as a parent. To raise our children well that they love God first and they love him most. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it always worth it? It's always worth it to seek the bear of the family resemblance in our families. My dad and I do a lot of riding together. So some of you know I'm a cyclist. My dad got me going as just a little, little kid. So I remember being like eight years old and my dad gave me on my bike riding around our neighborhood in Wells. And my mom, I'd come back and I'd just be shattered and ride so hard to try to keep up with my dad. And sometimes I could do it, sometimes I couldn't. My mom being upset, like, you push him too hard. I loved it. And it kept me going all the way through as I got older and through high school. We'd go do group rides together. And sometimes I could stay with the group. Sometimes I couldn't. Sometimes I'd go off the back of the group and I'd just catch up with them when they'd stop for bagels. Uh, but I was learning, I was growing, and my dad and I still do that some, not as much as we used to. I'm busy, he's busy, but it's always fun to get together and do a good group ride with him. And some of those guys look at us and say, wow, you guys can definitely tell you're related, because we look a whole lot alike, especially the older I get, the more I look like my dad. But I also start to sound more like my dad and the things that I say and how I respond to a situation, how I'm raising my girls, Uh, Even the goofy things that I do, it's more and more like my dad used to do and still does. I just don't see it in the same way because now I'm a dad and the jury's still out on whether the girls enjoy it or not. But I look more and more like him. There's a strong family resemblance. Bear a strong family resemblance to Christ as a kid. He's given you every tool you need to be able to do that. Bear a strong family resemblance to Christ as a parent. He's given you every tool that you need to do that to then bear a strong family resemblance to Christ in your family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that we're not left to do this all alone. This is hard work. As a kid, it's hard work growing up and learning all kinds of new stuff every day. Every day is brand new. Learning new stuff and then learning how to bear your image as a kid. Not every kid's doing that. Not every kid wants to do that. So then for a kid to work hard to bear the image of Christ is just hard work. But you give us the strength to do that. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. You promise to be our helper. Father, it's hard to be a parent. So many forces grabbing for our kids and voices and ideas and agendas. And Lord, it's hard. But you give us everything we need to accomplish that, to bear your image well for our children to see, but then for the world watching on as well. And I pray that we can bear the family resemblance, the image of you in our families, that others might see us, see our families, and not see us, but to see you and want to know more about who you are as a result of your life working in us and flowing through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.